It's Tuesday morning, and welcome back to the Hendel Media Project. The Hendel Media Project is where we have the best conversations behind the scenes of the immigrant rights movement. Today I'm talking to Melissa Portillo. She is an immigrant rights activist based in the New York City area, and I've never met her before. I, never sp I have never spoken with her before, but what drew me to her was the passion she showed on Twitter. I want her to use this interview to boost her career. After watching this interview back, I will say this. I'm incredibly inspired by her, and I hope you are too. Okay. Okay. So great, Melissa, thank you for uh, joining me today. Um, it's uh, pretty bad weather outside. I know, uh, and so bad. Were you out there for a long time today? Um, for a little, yeah. I had to walk my dog and do other errands. So you, you walked your dog in this blizzard. Yes. Did yes. the dog have a sweater on at least? He had a sweater, a jacket, boots, everything you could think of. Okay. And what kind of dog do you have? He's a Maltese Pomeranian, and his name is Snowflake, so he loves the snow. Ah. Uh, so mad. Ironic. <laughs> um, yeah. So great. So um, you know, the point of the show is to give an opportunity for new voices to be heard in the mm -hmm. immigrant rights movement. Uh, my experience in the immigrant rights movement has been that enough people don't have the opportunity to express their ideas, uh, their visions, and you know, to even be known, I think, in this movement. So I think what drew me to wanting to interview you was how passionate you are when you tweet about immigrant rights. Yeah. And um, you know, I, my whole purpose is to get to know the person behind the Twitter and, and, you know, for other people to get to know you. Um, so first thing, you know, and, you know, just for everybody uh, viewing this at home, um, yeah. we've never met before, we've never spoken, and I think that's what the beauty of this interview is going to be, that people just get to know you as if they were sitting with you one-on-one -on -one, um, right off the bat and, you know, just get to know you. Um, mm -hmm. So first things first, uh, I saw on your Twitter that you, uh, actually on your Facebook, that you have something to do with Ecuador. What's up with Ecuador? Uh, well, I'm Peruvian, but I did work for a nonprofit organization that was um, Ecuadorian. So there, I was involved with like the consulate of Ecuador, and we did a lot of workshops um, here in Queens. So I have that connection with them. Um, but aside from that, that's basically what I've been doing with that. Okay, so when I saw Ecuador, I thought, oh, she must be also Ecuadorian because I'm also yeah. Ecuadorian. <laughs> So I'm disappointed you're not Ecuadorian, but you're Peruvian. That's no. close enough. That's cool. But we're, we're close. We're, we're you very know. close. I've, I've actually been to so Peru also. So, you know, I know, I, you know, I have did all the touristy stuff in Peru. So, like, you know. Oh, okay, I'm cool. Um, okay, so I guess where do I begin? Uh, on your, well, on your Facebook, you describe yourself as, let me just take a look. Um, you're a college graduate a business immigration paralegal, a community advocate, and an immigrant rights activist. Well, let's start a little bit with where, first of all, uh, a little bit about your personal backstory. Can you tell me a little bit, you know, just, just about who you are and, you know, growing up, like, what is it that we should know about you? Okay. Um, so first, I guess I would say, obviously, I already said um, my parents are Peruvian. I was born here, mm -hmm. um, and I started school in BMCC, and then I, I then um, my whole motive, reason why I got to Baruch was that I was very interested in business administration. That was like my thing. I got my associates in that. I went to Baruch, which is the school of business, and um, that's when like my whole career path changed. Um, 
I did an internship because I needed an extra elective. Mm -hmm. So I did a political science um, that had to do with social services and various different things. And the professor actually was like, you should definitely get an internship. Like, you should see if business is all there is that you want to do. She was like a mentor to me more than a professor. And she just ventured beyond. She's like, hey, how about like working for, you know, city council and just like doing an internship there and seeing what services they provide for the community. And I was like, okay, I guess. I mean, I heard a lot about immigration that's currently happening. I mean, there are certain things I guess I can get more in depth with later um, that draw me to that, that impacted my family also. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, and it's because of that internship that everything basically started. And that's why every single friend that I have that's currently in college or wants to pursue a degree, I'm like, listen, I know you probably won't get paid most of the time. And or if it's a volunteer thing, but you find yourself, you honestly do. And just discovering new different, um, different areas that you could possibly do. And then I ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree in political science. And I eventually got more involved. You know, I can definitely relate to that because when I went into college, I went into the pre-med track. I wanted to become oh. a doctor, mm-hmm. not because I had any real interest in medicine, but because I watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy the summer before I oh my decided to go into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is that once I was in college, I or I was about to graduate, I want you know I had a passion for activism, and I had my English degree, and you know, sort of by putting it together that I got the idea to go into a master's for public administration degree. Um, So talk a little, can you talk a little bit about the risk that people should take? I think like when they're in college and the, you know, opportunities to try different things come up, how, what, what advice would you give to people like in terms of taking that risk wherever they are in their career? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of risk involved because I mean, especially if you come from a family where you're not very like, you know, slightly middle-income family. Um, it is very hard because you have to get money. And um, unfortunately, the basic only job that we do get is like retail or something that's totally irrelevant, unless you're doing business or marketing, that it is relevant to you. Um, so I could definitely relate because I was working uh, for two years throughout my um, undergrad uh, for a retail job. And it's when I decided and I, well, I was balancing it all out at one point. But then eventually when I did get a job opportunity, I had to leave it because I felt even though I'll probably get less hours or, you know, because I have to balance the internship, you know, the, the my job and school, um, I was like, you know what, it's worth it. I know a lot of people are probably don't have that advantage. I do have my parents, my mom that supports me 24-7 and all of it. But um, I think even if it's four hours, I mean, if it's just four hours, there's internships that could definitely work with you, especially like city council. They always need help. Um, there's so many different organizations that even if you just give four hours of your time, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we have a class, we can work around it where we just have like an afternoon class and maybe four hours just dedicated to your internship or volunteer opportunity. Um just venture out and do it. I mean, there's definitely always time for that. Um, maybe not, not like, you know, two days because you do need work. Yeah. You do need to make a living, obviously, um, and help your family. But I definitely encourage every single person to do, you know, to try to get an internship, work, to talk to a professor. I mean, that's how I got mine. It wasn't even like a um, – she was a mentor to me more than anything. Um, so I definitely encourage every single person um, 
if, if you think you're intrigued into something, just try it. It doesn't hurt to try and just to see maybe that's who you really are and what you're meant to be doing uh, versus just going, in my case, business, I thought money. I mean, hey. <laughs> so um, every single person here, especially in New York, it's just it's all about that. Unfortunately, rent is so high. You have to find something that's really what's going to be geared towards you. And some majors are tough, like I guess an arts degree where it's a little bit tough. But even if you just try to intern for a gallery, maybe two, three hours, I mean, hey, it's free help. I know they would definitely be open to do it and just get out there, talk to them, email them. And, you know, don't wait on somebody else. Just be yourself and just, you know, it doesn't hurt to just try to email even if they don't have a posting. You know, just email them, hey, I'm interested. I'm currently an undergrad. I just want to discover myself and maybe this gallery or whatever type of job you have or want to pursue may be interesting. Yeah, and I think that's something that would have been useful for me um, a few years ago because when I left college, I wanted to be a part of advocacy. I wanted to be a part of, you know, already working in this field. However, it was difficult for me because I didn't know where to start networking. So mm -hmm. it was really by chance that I began in, in this type of work but I think that networking is so crucial. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's something that perhaps we don't, I think coming into college, we don't really, we aren't taught to do that. We're taught it's, to do that afterwards. Exactly. And it's so sometimes, I mean, to me, it was, I mean, I know every low income, middle income family, it's so hard because especially if you have that barrier between your parents only speak Spanish and you speak English, it's definitely hard. It was hard for me. I like I did financial aid on my own. I found out this whole navigating the college system and reason why I ended up like being back one year because I didn't know and I couldn't ask my mom, hey, like, what is it that you could do? Not because I know she was probably open to helping me, but it's, you know, there's that barrier that sometimes they didn't attend college or just in New York, they didn't attend college. So um, it was definitely hard for me also. And it's something that I think every person should definitely take because once you graduate college, if you don't have that experience, mm -hmm. they won't take you. <laughs> right. Now, now talk to me a little bit about that experience about the, well, talk to me a little bit about your parents and, you know, this, yeah. this um, experience of growing up as a first generation U.S. born Latina American. Yeah. Um, so definitely um, my parents came here from Peru at a very young age. Their whole motivation was definitely to uh, help their families back at home, just like any other Latino family. That's our main goal, just taking care of our parents and, you know, bringing back to our own country. Um, and then once, you know, I guess me in the mix, I was born. Um, but um, definitely uh, my passion, I guess, with immigration, it didn't click to me. It's, that's what's so odd, and that's how I know it's my passion now. Because um, grow, in high school, history, politics, no. That was not me at all. No way. I always thought that's totally boring, and I don't know. It was just we, totally are so, we are so different in that way, because I would sit there and read my social studies textbook uh -huh. like during math. <laughs> Oh my God! No, that was not me. Like I, I don't even, I don't even know my grades, but I don't think they were great either. Okay. But um, I know that when I went to, I think that's the whole point of college. That's why it's like some people say, oh, but you know, it's just, you don't need a degree and this and that. I mean, to to an extent, yes. You know, a bachelor's degree is not is worth like or equivalent to not what it used to be. You know, mm -hmm. but um, once I did this internship, as I was saying. Um, I tried it. I never was intrigued by it in the beginning because I thought, 
I need to make money. I need to like, you know, pay my bills, just very basic things that I could help my parents of. And that's the situation that we're in when we're in a Spanish household. We are, we are brought up with that. Um, well, at least most of us are brought up with helping our parents, just helping them with anything that we can, even if it's just like a cell phone bill. It helps them so much and just giving back to them in that way. So um, I took this leap of faith and I said, you know what, let me just, there's one day off that I have of the week and that's Fridays. I didn't have class and I could work if I wanted to, um, but I was like, I think I can do it. So I interned for city council, um, but it just so happens that they needed more help with, there's an immigration attorney at that office and they're like, oh, we really need help. She has like a crazy schedule. She's the only one there on staff. And we have this collaboration that we're doing with a nonprofit. So the that city council, that city council district office was doing that. So um, I was like, hey, I mean, okay, I'll help her. And I thought it was just going to be very basic administrative work, but it wasn't. It was actually interacting with um, the immigrant community in. In this case, it was in Jackson Heights, Queens, um, where the district office was at. And that attorney, she was really a person that helped me and mentored me and just showed me so many different uh, things, different issues and how they just tell their story and how they just really need that help. And any any help to them is is the best, you know, and that's how can I you, really got Can you interested. tell me one specific, what's like the most powerful moment you came across um, in that capacity? Um, I think the most powerful moment was when this um, this guy came and he was saying that he came from Cuba and he had a case like years, years ago. It was like maybe 30 years ago, more than 30, uh, where he was stopped by, um, I think in the streets, there was a situation where he was in the grocery and these individuals came and they robbed the grocery and he was in that position. So cops stopped all of them and they fled from the scene and they, they weren't caught the actual people that did the robbery, but he was caught because he was Latino. And for some reason they stopped him and they thought that he was the one that did this, et cetera, et cetera. When he was just talking to the grocery guy the whole time. Um, and so that led to immigration and like all these different issues that complicated his whole case. There's obviously more details to it, but he needed some type of asylum. You know, he needed something that couldn't, you know, so that he won't go back to Cuba. I mean, there's a lot of like so many different governmental issues that's going on there where people, I mean, now there at that time, this was like more than a year ago, but now there's this relationship that Cuba and United States has, but it wasn't um, during that time. And so I think it was just his story, how he was so open up about it and everything. I was just seriously like, wow, like people, you know, when you're just Spanish and you're just Latino, it's just that connection that you have. Mm. And that also brings up another topic on how we get frauded, you know, because us Latinos, we just rely on each other so much that some attorneys take that advantage, you know, yeah. and or or I guess notarios, how they call it and the these different topics so that really intrigued me well yeah and you know i think that the more i do work and the more i talk to people who are not necessarily even in the immigration space just you know people who help their parents out they're defrauded by these people a lot mm -hmm. and i think it's something that you know myself as a u.s born latino and my parents you know not really needing to go to immigration lawyers um you know i wasn't aware of but apparently it's very prevalent. It happened to my family. That's how... Can you yeah. tell me can, can you tell me how they get away with it or how so, this happens? Okay, just, so just I think... Just talk to me very honestly. Just tell me, of like, course, how. Yeah. 
Um, so I guess in my in my my family situation, I didn't find out until I learned about. I started doing workshops on like knowing your rights and who to go to, who not to go to, and I was like, wait, like this sounds so relevant to like a story that my dad told my mom about. And I'm like, so I asked my dad, I was like, what is it that happened that you were talking something about an attorney and now he's in jail, et cetera, et cetera, and then. He was like, oh, so this is how it went. Basically, um, my dad wanted to, um, uh, he needed my sister to come over here. And at that time, um, this is the only attorney that he was recommended by, like, the community that he was currently living in. And they were like, oh, this is the best. You know, your papers will come so quickly. That person knows somebody. And somebody in immigration, and um, it's just going to go by fast. He might charge a little bit more, but it's best. You know, my daughter came, et cetera, et cetera. So they say that whole story. So my dad was like, okay, cool. So um, he went to that attorney, and um, my dad kept calling because he already made his whole payment. The First of all, they asked for the whole payment at one time. Yeah. That's already suspicion in itself. You know, it's obviously a consultation fee, and then you go on, and then there's there's you follow up. And the attorney is supposed to follow up with you because you're the client, not the other way around. So, um, so he came coming back and saying, Hey, so what's up with my case? You know, I've, I filed, did you file? What's the current status on that? Mm. Nowhere to be found. And every time he did call, he will follow up, but with like another number, Mm. like he would always call him back, but with a different number and say, Hey, you know, I'm not in the office. I'm here. I'm this and that. Mm. So he would always come up with excuses. And, um, in the end, my dad was like, you know what, let me go to this office and let me just find out. And when he, there was like a Marshall like sign on it that specifically said something about how, like how that business is closed and it was doing illegal action, et cetera, et cetera. And money's out the window money. You can't find that person. That person wasn't even going by their name. Number one, he was a Latino number two. Mm-hmm. And then number three, um, he obviously, I think he had so many cases that somebody did file the report and my dad didn't end up doing it. You know, he is serving his time in jail as of what we know, mm-hmm. but that money is gone and it wasn't a small amount of money. So it's obviously my sister's still not here. Um, so it's so many different things that it's just that confianza. I mean that, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, how do you say it in English again? <laughs> like just that, um, that, that rapport, that trust. That trust, yeah, exactly. That trust that you have with that person because you feel like, because they're Latino, they would help you out too and they know your situation. But in reality, sometimes they use that to their advantage. And so, yeah. Why, why, why do you think that is? Why? Because the thing is, like, when, when I read these things, like, I just <laughs> sit to myself, like, what Latino attorney just sits there and says to themselves, I'm going to steal from them today? The thing is that sometimes they're not attorneys, they're notarios. And there's that issue with the language barrier. One of the reasons I could say is because of doing these workshops is that, number one, you're supposed to see their degree. Their degree is supposed to be out there when you speak to them. And number two, um, in South America, I know this is what I know, that in South America, notarios, I'm not sure if you even asked your parents, but notarios are, are more powerful than attorneys in back in our country. Um, they are uh, they are attorneys and they have the, the power to, I guess, sign papers, sign documents and prove that you are the person that you are and signing this document. So there's that um, misinterpretation that here anyone could be a notary. It's just a stamp. It's just something that... Can I just tell you that I thought notarios were like short form for like notorious or like... Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just the fact that they're a notary public and they could sign documents and prove that you are who you are for, I guess, passports or various different reasons. And 
So I think that's one of the causes on how sometimes they say they're notarios and people just go with it. They don't even say, oh, but you're not an attorney or whatever. They don't question it. And then there's that language. You know, there's the fact that they don't know English, so they can't read documents. They don't know what their what their rights are. They don't know, hey, should I get my documents back? Do I have the right to see any documents that you file on my behalf? They don't know that. They just trust the person with everything, give all their documents out. And they don't even see the documents back. They don't try to review it, which is what an attorney normally does. Like, hey, this is what I just filed for you here. Can you look it over to make sure? Um, and it's just knowing about the basic things. And I think span not knowing the English language is definitely um, one of the main reasons um, why these things happen. And also because in, in I know in Peru and Ecuador, it's definitely something that notarios are more, they actually earn a better salary than attorneys and they do way more. Attorneys over there are probably like less, I don't know, in demand. So between the language barrier and, um, sorry, I, it's just, uh, my, but there was the language barrier, the fact that back in our countries that they're more powerful than attorneys and therefore the misperception and then the trust that people have all just leads to like, this whole like, of, like bubble of confusion and right. it's just notarios to them you ask any person it's their attorneys ellos son abogados that's what they say um so it's it's crazy to me to think that and if you even even if you see flyers like that's all they speak about and they say please like they are not attorneys in the, in you know in the state here we have a different process mm. here it's you could have a notary license <laughs> without being an attorney cool so Talk to me a little bit about, so do you still work for city council or do you work so, in some capacity? Um, no, I'm doing uh, business immigration. I'm paralegal and I'm just right now learning um, very, very different. Um, it's a different field because it's not family immigration. So um, I don't, it's more like, I guess individuals have like a work visa or they're extraordinary. They have some extraordinary ability is the name of it. And like they're chefs or cooks or whatever. And they get contracted by a company here in the U S and they're like looking for that sort of visa. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's going to land them that job here. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Um, it's some, it's a different field. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something that I'm still learning. Um, and I still don't know if that's exactly going to be my field, if I'll continue. But I think my whole passion is more in the community and it's not more of what I'm doing right now. So are you looking for something right now or is this like what you've landed right now? Um, it's what I've landed, but I am looking. Mm -hmm. But I know that I cannot be just jumping from jobs to jobs. You do have to have some sort of, uh, I guess, reference. And also you just most jobs, they require like two years of experience or something. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I, I think like, you know, just advice, you know, from me to mm -hmm. you and to everybody yeah. watching is just or that I've learned is you have to always be looking for your next opportunity. You can't just, you know, just sit at a job and, you know, not look towards the future. You always have to be looking because you never know what will happen. Of course. Um, so in, in terms of immigration, mm -hmm. what is it that most drives you? What is it that drives that passion that you have? Is it a sense of you know, working with the logistical aspect of it? Is it the sense of justice? Is it, what drives you? Because you're very passionate. What what drives that engine behind you? Mm -hmm. I think it's just, um, I think it's just the fact that I, justice, that's definitely the main reason because I still, even though I have a job that's maybe not, you know, a nonprofit where you're out there working with the community, um, it's 
still I'm still involved in the sense that I'm still I still go to events even though like at seven and I'm like so tired I still have that motivation to go and learn and just also obviously you're networking at the same time but also you're meeting people you're learning about various different issues I went to like one of them where it was talking about you know education immigration and education field and just what are your rights as a parent for your immigrant child and um, especially if they're like special needs or something so there's so many different topics in immigration and it's um, a learning process. So I think what's mainly my passion is definitely just that I have that drive and that determination to just keep on going and helping them the most that I can. I always help every single family member that I have. They're always like, oh my God, can you help me with this? I have a friend in this. I have this because they know I'm involved to a certain extent. So it's like just helping them, whether that's just volunteering, you know, um, I know that it is something that I'm definitely interested in because I want to help, mm. whether that's getting paid or not. Mm. You know, obviously, eventually, I'll probably get a job in that field. Mm. But um, it's something that I know that I'm just passionate about because I know what my dad went to. I don't ever want a family to risk their own income or their rent salary because they went to somebody that they're not supposed to go to or they paid for something that's probably free mm. that the government gives you. There's certain things that you're allowed to have. So it's... Um, just giving them that opportunity to be taught that in their native language, which is some, you know, most importantly, obviously Spanish. Um, so it's that that basically motivates me. Oh, great, great. <laughs> so with that, you know, comes the other side of the conversation. Now, mm -hmm. for example, myself, you know, one of the biggest frustrations I have in the immigrant rights sector is okay. that it's all numbers and titles and we don't get to know the people behind which is exactly the whole point of this interview and why, you know, I'm trying to interview people on a weekly basis so people can, you know, see, like, the personality behind, uh, you know, behind just the number or the title. What would be your frustrations in terms of this uh, sector? What, what is it that you would like to see? Okay, so I definitely understand your frustration in the sense of, like, you know, nonprofits have like a certain limit to things and what they really advocate for and what are do they feel strong for and will they actually go out in the field and do it? Right. You know, so I think in my case, like right now, I, I don't know, I have this thing where I want to start this group and I want to start with people that are as passionate as I am. And it's not about, you know, hey, if we get funding, that's not my, my point, you know, because I think that's the, the issue that sometimes happens with some organizations or whatever there's not enough funding to you know help every individual or you know etc go to a certain extent so i think it's about knowing those leaders in your community that are as passionate as you whether they are getting paid or not so it's like in my sense i think with all this political thing that's happening right now presidential campaign coming up everything um i think well, I, well, I'm going to start because I feel that there is no movement in it right now, or at least I haven't seen it. I haven't seen people go to the streets and knock on doors and ask people, hey, are you registered to vote? Are you going to vote? And these, this is a deadline. Um, hey, I can give you an application right now. You can send it in mail for free. So that's what I want to do. I want to start movement of leaders. I'm still, it's in the works. Um, and I want to do like door to door knocking and just giving that information out because I think that's most important, whether it's a Democratic, pres I mean, Republican, I think it's just getting out that vote mm -hmm. and knowing that I read a lot of articles on how even though Latinos have a very, very strong um, vote this coming election, it's are they going to vote? 
that's the main question because right. are we going to use that power that we have? Um, and even if it's just dreamers or various different undocumented immigrants, you're so important in the sense that like you have to motivate that person, that friend, that family member that is a U.S. citizen and can vote because they can vote on your behalf. Mm. You know, and if you don't tell them and involve them in what's going on. Um, then how are they going to vote? Sometimes they don't care or they're just not interested in the political movement in general. Mm. So I think the main thing that um, would, if anything, uh, what like in sense of like I want people to move out and go out there is just that I want to go out there and just give that information to them and have them involved in the political movement in sense that I haven't seen other organizations or maybe I haven't researched as much yet mm. um, on them actually doing that. Well, let me pose to you like a, you know, kind of like a hypothetical, a true hypothetical. Mm -hmm. So I'm very interested in the, the presidential election. However, I feel that all the energy is in Iowa and New Hampshire. Of course. What would you say to me who I, you know, want to campaign for Bernie Sanders, but there's like no way that I feel to do it? Or if I do go somewhere, I don't feel like I can really contribute much what would you say to someone like me who is very interested, but is, you know, that says all the energies in Iowa. It's not there yet. You know, right. it's not the time yet. New York is not the vote right now. Right. Um, so I would definitely say that, first of all, you in order to get um, certain candidates on the ballot, there's like a deadline. I believe it's the 29th, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. That goes for Bernie Sanders. I'm not sure about Hillary. Um, and various and the other candidate, too, um, O'Malley. So, uh it's first of all understanding this because it's so complicated like what's primary election what's general election how do they get there like so it's first of all that's why iowa is so important right now because it determines on the factor on who will continue on the race um and i think right now what we could do first of all registering because we have the time nobody is like there's not maybe hopefully there's not immense lines right now in dmv learning if you are registered um who's your um representative for your district and could actually get you more involved in either whatever candidate that you have going going for right now so i think it's definitely just getting people involved in what's the history behind it what what's a primary election what's a general election and um just understanding that uh, registering to vote is the number one thing you could do right now. And just knowing, hey, did I even register to vote? Because sometimes some people are confused if they did it or not in the DMV. Because sometimes mostly that's how people just register through. Um, so I think what's more important right now is just getting out that information and asking your family members or community, you know, friends, um, are they registered? Is their family involved? And um, have they, uh, I guess, just know the countdown on until what age i think it's like there's like a certain age um that they could still register if they're 18 by now um and just giving out that information cool uh let's see <laughs> that was see the thing is like that's a lot to take in it's a lot yeah. to really like you know between like go to your representative and go you can do this and know your rights and know your vote you know it's i i think like you know when thinking about this type of like work you know I kind I kind of just want to boil to one thing, like what's one thing I can do. So that would be like, just ask, registering. Yeah, just asking like family and friends, are they registered to vote? Yeah, and also I guess the citizenship process. If you have a 
you know, a, a family member that is a resident. I mean, hey, like you should register to be a citizen right now. It's so important. Um, and just giving that in, that information out, like, hey, learn English or whatever the age is. Maybe they're exempt. Um, so it's a lot of information, definitely. But if I could boil it down to just one thing, it's just registering to vote and knowing if you are registered to vote to begin with. So who's your favorite presidential candidate right now and why? Um, not that I have a, a specific vote right now, but I think if anything, because of what I've heard in the newspapers, I would say Bernie Sanders. Um, but it's, we're still learning, you know, little by little, we're still learning in the race, what they are for and who they really are. And I think the media is very confusing and where you get your media information from. So I think if I could tell anybody something on who candidate they should choose, it's definitely just, you know, going to these different uh, getting your information from various, just learning about their history, what they have been always advocating for, mm. who they are, and um, just learning about their background, just like any other person, if they will go for a job. You know, you're not going to choose a person that, you know, two years ago they were against immigration and now they're like, hey, hire me for an immigration, you know, organization. Right. So it's just l learning about that person, you know, besides what the media throws at you. I think that's... So what, you were at the National Immigrant Integration Conference. In mm -hmm. Brooklyn. Yeah. And you saw all the candidates speak? Um, so I was there on Sunday, and unfortunately, they came on Monday. Oh, Most okay. of them came on Monday and Tuesday. I think mm -hmm. Bernie did like a live um, conference yeah. on Tuesday because he had an event in Iowa, I think. Mm -hmm. And then Monday was Hillary, and if I'm not mistaken, Tuesday was also Mali. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's what it was. But on Sunday, it was definitely interesting. There were so many workshops, and I would, I think next year they're going to, Unfortunately, they're not doing it in New York next year. No, in Tennessee. But um, yeah, but it was definitely a great event. You learn so much, um, and yeah, and I would motive, I would tell any other person if they can, you know, to go ten. Oh, cool. Um, I've actually been to, I think three of them in the past. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely know. Unfortunately, this year I couldn't go, but I definitely know like the energy you just feel there being around like so many people. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually <laughs> at one conference and like i get into an elevator and <clears throat> this like short latino man just like walks in right he walks into the elevator and he goes hi and i go oh hey you know but like i i was doing something uh -huh. with my notebook uh -huh. and the elevator starts to go up and like we you know i just kind of ignore him and then like more people start coming into the elevator on other floors mm -hmm. and they start saying hi how are you to this guy right and i'm like okay, this, you know, I guess this guy's well-known or something, right? Okay. And the, the elevator keeps going up, and all of a sudden I look at the back of my pamphlet, the, the conference pamphlet. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Representative Luis Gutierrez. Wait, this oh. is the same guy who's in the elevator. And I completely ignored him for like oh four my God. floors. And then, but then <laughs> I was... You didn't know much about him, I guess, right, at that I, moment. No, and like after that I was too embarrassed to say, hey, what's up? <laughs> so that's, <laughs> yeah, that's my yeah. story with the conference. Um, so... You know, I if you had one story, you know, and we're going to wrap up in the next five minutes. If you had one story from your childhood growing up as a, you know, first generation Latino U.S. American, what's what's one story, you know, growing up that like stands out to you that, you know, people could learn from or that, you know, people could relate to with experiences just growing up in middle school or high school? What's, you know, yeah. something people, people could relate to? Um, I don't think I have a specific story, but I think, uh, I guess that drives me or connects to what I'm doing now. But, um, 
I would definitely just say in general for like high school students. I mean, I think that's that time where like you definitely have to take advantage <laughs> in the sense of like just be very dedicated to your work because it very I don't think you you think about it as much when you're in college and you're like, "Oh, I could have gone to a better college or maybe I wouldn't be in community college and, you know, doing extra remedial classes or etc." So I definitely think it's like something that you so have is that to like an experience that you had. Yeah, um in my sense, you know, I went to BMCC. That was my first you know, school because of, I guess, not the grades. I think SATs is what determines everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so in my, I don't regret it because BMCC was definitely an amazing community college. Mm-hmm. If I could compare it to Baruch, Baruch is great. You know, it's one of the top CUNY colleges. But there was literally tutors 24-7, not 24-7, but until like midnight, um, on campus, in the library, just sitting there waiting for every single subject that you can get help with. And there was no waiting for an appointment, no nothing. It was just a table in the library, math, biology, accounting, um, you know, physics, any single thing that you need assist as help with. And I felt that connection that, you know, that drive from a community college mm-hmm. to want to help you out. And I don't regret it. Not one bit. Yeah. I feel that if anything, if I was to automatically have gone to Baruch, I did apply to Baruch. That's the funny thing. I applied and I didn't get accepted the first time out straight out of high school. And then I got accepted right after BMCC. But it's because of those tutors. It's because of them helping me out. And just, they're just being that, that, um, that, that ability to help me versus I mean in Baruch I know a lot of people struggle with this in like four-year universities where you have to make an appointment to speak to a tutor um there's not as many tutors sometimes so um I think there's definitely that that more greater assistance in community college because that's their whole motive their whole motive is to help you out and to get get you good grades so that you can move on to like a four-year university and continue your degree you know so I think that's definitely if anything it's the same it's the same thing because you're taking the same classes your first two years you have to take general subjects and so if anything I wouldn't regret it one bit if community college is something that you still don't know what your your major is what your passion is that I didn't know you know coming out of high school most of us don't know but I think community college definitely helps you in so many ways um, and they're like more for you if anything and then you know you get that experience you get that assistance and then once you're in your four-year university you're more like a little bit more knowledgeable on the process on fast and all these different things that you have to figure out for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had not slacked off in eighth grade because <laughs> uh, then uh, I probably would have gone to a different school. But I think that, I mean... Everything that, happens for a reason. I mean, that's what they say, you know. I think that <laughs> the uh, trajectory of my career has been up and down at times. But, um, yeah. you know, ultimately, like, this is the part about the movement that I love is connecting with people and talking to them and learning from them. Um so, Melissa, I want to give you the opportunity, right? Right here, right now. Tell everybody that's watching this why they should get to know you in this movement. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so I would definitely say um, I'm so passionate about the immigrants' rights movement. I dedicate my time, my extra time. I volunteer. I help with so many various different things. And Right now, my whole motive is just to get myself out there, connect with different people, um, figure out, because as long, I'm also helping people, but at the same time, I'm figuring myself out, you know, what's my master's degree going to be? And I think uh, more than anything, I'm more, uh, in just giving out that information, I'm so passionate about it, whether it's like, 
in a nonpartisan way, you know, it's just giving that information like, hey, this is going on, this event is going on, um, you should go to this different informational session. If you need help with a DACA application, if you have a friend that needs help with that, if you have a family that's going through an immigration raid or you're scared of that, just knowing your rights, there's so much things that I personally um, post about that I'm always uh, motivated on talking about. And it's not... I don't even post as much my personal life on Facebook. If anything, I have so many friends that I found out um, through the way that they're also like some people that I didn't even connect with as much. They're DACA recipients. And I'm like, wow, like I was connected at some point with somebody that I went to college years ago um, that is a DACA recipient that is going through so much things. And I helped them out in like what organization do I go to? And they reach out to me in so many different ways, although I can't give them legal you know, help because there's that barrier where you're not an attorney. Obviously, you have to know your limits, but um, it's just helping them get connected with an organization or a person that can help you in that so that your family or yourself is not in that situation where you are frauded or you don't know about it. So I think if anything, for me, it would just be follow me because I'm just always giving information, Mm -hmm. workshops, all these different things that you could definitely, um, even if it's just like an internship or you need help with something, I'm always willing to help. I help my friends all the time. Hey, what, who do I contact? What, what do I do? I don't know if I'm interested in this. You know, there's so many information that's out there that we can definitely get a hold of, but sometimes we have that barrier, whether we don't know English or we just are not, we don't have those connections or those friends or that circle of friends that's also involved in what you want to be involved in. And sometimes there's that issue, you know, with me, I don't, there's not that many friends that are involved in what I'm involved in, but I have met friends throughout the way. You know, I've made different connections with different people, organizations, students, um, student um, groups. And it's just about generally just meeting people because throughout the way, you're also making friends that can help you. You know, I got my job that I'm currently in through somebody on that I know through Facebook. So it's literally just, you don't know who, who, what's your next opportunity. So it's definitely always uh, be your best. You know, try to be the best that you can always be professional in every single way. You know, even when it comes to Facebook, it's something that you have to know what you post. You have to know what you talk about. And it's just, you know, knowing about what you post and everything that that definitely makes an impact in your life. And you don't know who that person could connect you to. So it's just about reaching out there because there's so much people that are probably involved in what you're involved in. And I can always I'm always able to help you in anything that you need help with. So you're a connector. You're a doer. You're passionate. You're driven. This is why people should get to know you. Of course, yeah. And I this mean, this is why I I'm think, glad. Like, I, I reached out to you to talk because this yeah, is exactly I mean, I think that's that's the whole point about what I'm talking about. It's like it's crazy. Like Twitter connected us, and it's like it's something that now social media is such a big. Um, it's such a big. I guess just in general, it's so big of a platform mm-hmm. that we can connect with the next person like you and your project. And I think it's amazing because you're not only highlighting people that are, I guess, representative of this organization or that, or it's just people behind the scenes because we're generally behind the scenes. We are volunteering for an event, but we're not highlighted. You know, we're helping out with some type of organization, but sometimes, you know, we're not, maybe we're not staff or we're not something, you know, that we're not the representative. We don't know as much, but we are definitely driven because we're there. And I think it's highlighting those people behind the scenes is amazing what you're doing. Thank you so much. And I think that's a great way to end this. You know, the whole point of the project is to have the real conversations, you know, behind the scenes about immigration reform and no talking points, no press releases. 
and thank God that we did not have a boring conversation. Right? <laughs> and that's, that's my whole, like, mantra of the show. No more yeah, boring conversations. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And thank you so much for having me. Sure. Honestly, it's a pleasure. And I'm definitely up on your videos and watching Great. every single thing that comes out. Awesome. And I, I look forward to, you know, for you to use this to send to employers, you know, if, if you'd like, you know, portions mm -hmm. of this. And also, I can, I'm definitely looking forward to, to connecting you with other people I know that, you know, will really appreciate your passion. So keep doing what Perfect. you're doing. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. We'll thank you so talking, much, Melissa. We will. All righty. Bye. You know, great interview. And you are a shining example of the type of voices that I want to help lift up and for people to get to know. And that does it for this week's episode of The Handle Media Project, where we have the best and most open conversations about immigration reform, immigrant rights, nonprofit.